If you could remain standing as we come to God's Word, if you haven't released your children yet or gone with your children to drop them off, you can do so now. As we come to today's passage, we're still in the Last Supper in the book of John, chapter 14, and Jesus is going to give us some compelling reasons to trust in Him. And so I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 14 in John chapter 14, 1 to 14. It's going to be on the screens here, or you can look in your own Bibles. John 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down and let's come to him now as we seek to understand and apply his word. Father in heaven, we worship you this morning. We acknowledge that you are Lord of all. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us through your living word today as we encounter the eternal word, who is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name, according to the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. Well, if I were to ask you, what drives you in life? If I just were having a conversation, I ask you, what drives you in life? I can virtually guarantee what you would not say in response to me. This, this is what you would not say if, if I asked you what drives you in life. You know, I want greater instability in life. I'm just looking for greater instability. You would not say to me, uh, well, I want to be in a more dangerous circumstance. I want to live in a place where it's like really dangerous, where I'm maybe not going to live very long. You also would not say to me, uh, I want to be lonely. I, I want to be alone in life. I wish that I had no one around me in life. 
I've never once had anyone tell me that those are their goals in life, to be unstable or unsafe or lonely. That's because when it comes down to it, we as humans have a natural longing for peace and stability. We have a a natural longing to uh, be known and, and belong. And because we live in a relatively safe country, uh, a wealthy country at that, on one level, we think that these things are attainable for us, that we can have peace and security and belonging. And on some level, if the circumstances are right, we can have some of those things on a temporary basis here in America. But we are mistaken if we think that we can get these, <clears throat> these traits, peace, security, in belonging, in long-lasting peace, security, and belonging, we're, we're mistaken if we think we can get those on our own. Jesus says that only those who believe in him can have those things. And so that leads us to the overarching text, uh, call in our text this morning, and it is this. It is that Jesus is calling us to respond today to his inviting call to believe in him. Now, that belief may be for the first time, but for many of us, that's a continual call to believe, a call today to believe in him. It may be an aspect of your life that he's calling you to believe in. And through our text today, Jesus gives us three compelling reasons to believe in him. And the first compelling reason that he gives comes in verses one to three, and that's because The benefits of believing last forever. The benefits of believing in Jesus last forever. I want you to remember the setting of our text today. You'll remember it's the Last Supper. It's Jesus' final meal with his disciples. And at the end of chapter 13, he's just told them that he's going to go away. And where he's going, they cannot come. Peter, you know, he's kind of the spokesperson of the group. He doesn't like this. He says, well, Lord, where are you going? And he says, Peter, where I'm going, you're not able to go. You will go one day, but you're not going to go now. And then Peter says, well, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm I'm doing it anyway. And what does Jesus say? But, well, Peter, you're going to deny me three times within the next day. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And if you think of it, this must have been a crushing blow to the disciples because their master and teacher, the one they have followed for three years, has said he's going somewhere. They don't get where he's going. They can't follow. And now their leader, Peter, is going to, has just been told he's going to deny him. And so what does that mean for the rest of the disciples? If if Peter's going to deny him, what about them? Well, Jesus fully understands his disciples' confusion and, his, and their disappointment. There's much uncertainty about the future. And so he proceeds to give them the way to overcome this troubled state, starting in verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is saying that when you're heavily burdened, when your life is unraveling, when you, need to, uh, when you don't know what life is going to hold in the future, you need to trust. 
You need to believe. Believe in God the Father and in Jesus and Himself. When we do that, there are three benefits that will result if we believe in Jesus. The first benefit is supernatural peace. Supernatural peace in our hearts. This peace is what's implied in verse 1, but it's, in, it's stated explicitly later on in verse 27. The same discussion that Jesus is having with His disciples. He says this in verse 27, Jesus, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, the disciples' hearts were very troubled. To relieve that trouble, they needed to believe in God, and they needed to believe in Jesus. They couldn't understand what was going on in the moment. They've, they've shown throughout John's gospel they don't understand what's going on in the moment, but especially in this moment, they don't understand what's going on. So they needed to trust the one who did. It reminds me of earlier in Jesus's ministry when, you may remember when Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, had a very sick daughter on the point of death. And when Jairus was interacting with Jesus, the servants came and said, hey, don't even bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. And what Jesus said to Jairus in that moment, similar to what he said to his disciples, similar to what he says to us, he said, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. You see, belief in Jesus is the antidote to a troubled heart. It's true for us, just like it was true for the disciples. And right now, perhaps you are filled with uncertainty about some area of your life. You may be troubled with the state of our world as you turn on the news or click on the news, however you get your news, and you read about Israel, you read about Ukraine, you, you read about the U.S. government and whatever is going on there, and you're troubled. Well, friends, Jesus is sovereign over all of it, and He is the remedy for this trouble of yours. It's available when you believe in Him. Now, that doesn't mean the situation is going to change, but He will give you supernatural peace. It means that when you trust in the one who is in control of the situation, that He will comfort your soul and give you this lasting peace in the midst of it. Well, in verse 2, we come to a second benefit of believing in Jesus. The first was this lasting peace that comes. The second is a secure, eternal home. Look at verse 2, or listen to it. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? The only other time in John's gospel where Jesus talks about his Father's house was when he cleared out the temple. He was talking about the earthly temple. Here he's not talking about the earthly temple. He's talking about the heavenly temple where God dwells in heaven. And isn't it ironic that when Jesus came to earth for the first time, when he was going to be born, there was no place for him. He had to be born in a, in a manger or stable in Bethlehem. But in heaven, there is a place that he prepares for every single one who believes in him. And this preparation that Jesus mentions here, he's not talking about a preparation that's going to He's not going to decorate your room in heaven with all your favorite things. It's not like in a literal sense. He's going to prepare your room. 
It's not what he's talking about. Nor does going away for Jesus mean going away on a nice, peaceful, leisurely trip. Jesus prepared a place for us by going through the humiliating, excruciatingly painful experience of the cross, where he was humiliated and mocked and beaten, where he took the wrath of God for my sin and yours upon himself. That is how he went to prepare a place for us. He has paved the way so that we can enter the holy place in heaven. So believing in Jesus means that we have a secure home in heaven. It cannot be repossessed. It cannot be, uh, someone can never take it away from us. Scripture says that our inheritance is undefiled. It's kept in heaven for us. So that's our second benefit we see in these verses. It's, we have a secure home. It brings us to the third benefit of these first few verses for those who believe in him. And it's that his, he will give us a guaranteed return and rescue into his presence. So he guarantees to come back and to take him to himself. Listen to verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So here Jesus is talking about the second coming, which is his return at the end of the age. He is coming back for those who believe in him. We can count on that. Jesus is returning. It's going to be glorious. Listen to how Paul describes it in his first letter to the Thessalonians. It's probably a familiar, some familiar words for you in chapter 4. He says, it's what Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So we do not know the day or the hour, but Scripture is very clear that we are living in the last days. The Lord could return any day. He could return soon. He could return in a hundred years. We do not know, but we want to be ready. And we can be uh, assured that He will come back for us. But the text says that Jesus is coming back to take us where? To Himself, that we might be with Him. Because there's no greater joy than being in the presence of the Lord Jesus. A lot of popular conceptions of heaven involve kind of blessing our inmost desires. It's kind of like, well, in heaven I get to fly. You know, in heaven I'm going to have like a great car. In heaven we're going to have great food. You hear all these things about heaven all the time. And, and all those things may be true on some level. I, I've never been to heaven, but I'm not sure. But the, the joy of heaven is not going to be those things. It's not going to be the streets that are paved by gold. It's not the, the secondary things. It's going to be because Jesus Christ is there. And we are in his presence forever. Because at his presence, there is fullness of joy. The benefit of believing in him is that we will be with him forever. With complete acceptance and belonging at his, as his children. So a worthy thought experiment for us, if you, if you want to do this later today or this week, would be to consider 
Well, functionally, when I, when I look at my life, when you look at your life, where are you presently striving to find peace and security and belonging? Is it through a deepening belief and trust in Jesus? Is that where you're striving? Or is it perhaps by trying to change your present circumstances to look forward and get a better job or improve your career or get a bigger house or whatever you think is going to bring you greater security or maybe it's finding a group of friends that you can have community with those aren't bad things in themselves but Jesus wants us to go to him to find those primarily there are measurable benefits for those who believe Well, while the benefits to believing in Jesus last forever, we can still be left with doubts about who he is. And that leads to our second compelling reason to believe in Jesus, and that's because he answers our objections to belief. He answers our objections to belief. Peter, as we talked about, was the first one to question Jesus about where he was going at the end of chapter 13. Now in this next section of our text, Thomas and Philip both raise objections with Jesus that are still common objections to believing in him today. So first it's Thomas in his turn. Thomas's objection to Jesus is uh, more of an agnostic one. He doesn't know enough or so he thinks. So listen to what uh, this interaction looks like in verse 4. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? It's kind of one of these curious interactions that happen all the time in the gospel. <laughs> it's like Jesus says something, the disciples say something else, and you're like, okay, they don't get it. This is what's happening here. So what, what's true here? Well, in one sense, of course, the disciples know where he's going. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been saying, I'm going back to the Father. He said that multiple time in, times in the presence of the disciples, even in Verse 2, just a couple verses before, he said he's going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. Now, they just don't understand what that means. But Jesus uses this misunderstanding as a teaching point to reveal once again who he is. So listen to his response in verse 6, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of the most clear and profound statements about Jesus in the entire Bible. It's one that breaks through our agnostic objections that we can't know, we don't know enough to believe. Jesus says that he is the way. He is saying there is one way to God, and he is that way. Believing in Jesus, trusting in him, is the only way to know God. He is the truth. Our world today fights over truth. What is truth? We get to define our own truth according to the world. Well, Jesus doesn't happen to agree with that philosophy. He is saying that truth is embodied in him, that he is the source of all truth, that he is the one by whom all truth is defined. He is the life. Jesus has life within himself. It comes from him. So believing in him means receiving abundant and eternal life. Looking ahead in John 17, Jesus defines eternal life as this, knowing God the Father 
and knowing him. He is the life. So here, Jesus cuts through the fog of agnosticism and unbelief by making the truth very clear to Thomas and by implication to us. There's, there's not many ways. There are not multiple truths. There isn't lasting life apart from him. It's all found in Jesus. I just want to acknowledge that this kind of statement doesn't seem to fit in our pluralistic society in which we live, because we're taught everywhere we turn that Christianity is one of many ways to God, that truth is relative, that everyone goes to heaven and obtains eternal life. But here Jesus is saying, you don't need to keep searching once you've found him. If you found Jesus, you don't need to keep searching. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the end of the road. He is the road. He's the one that defines reality. There is one way to God, and it's through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus once again reminds Thomas, a faithful Jewish man, of his relationship to God the Father, the God of Israel, in verse 7. He said, if you had known me, Thomas, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. See, the fact that Thomas doesn't yet recognize or acknowledge Jesus as being the one with the Father means that he still has more to learn about God. He's not quite there because there's no such thing as loving God the Father and not embracing his son, Jesus. It's not possible. But notice the kindness and the patience of Jesus. We've seen this throughout the gospel. He's always so kind to us. He tells Thomas, now you know him and have seen him. He's spelling it out for Thomas. It's, look at me. You have seen the Father if you have seen me. Now, Thomas still, we know, doesn't quite get it. We know the end of the story. He's still going to doubt. But once the Holy Spirit comes, once he sees the risen Lord Jesus, he will fully believe. But Jesus' statement leads to a second common objection that many of us have to following Jesus. It comes from Philip. And it's what I'm calling the scientific objection. In Philip's mind, there's not enough evidence to believe. Listen to verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and and that's enough for us. Here Philip echoes the, the cry of so many of us when it comes to Jesus. Well, if only, and then you just kind of fill in the blank. If God would reveal himself to me, then then I would believe. If only God would send me a sign. If only he would heal my friend. If only, then I would believe. The problem with Philip's request is that he already had enough evidence to believe. Listen to how Jesus responds to him in verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, from our vantage point, it's so easy just to critique the disciples. It's kind of like a fun thing to do when you're reading the gospel. Like, oh, I can't believe the disciples. They're so hard-headed. You know, they had forgotten what Jesus had said to the Jewish leaders back in John 8. They were there. And Jesus said this, he said, if you knew me, you would have known the Father also. 
Or in chapter 10, again, he said, I and the Father are one. Jesus has reiterated this over and over and over again. They still don't get it. They still don't understand. But imagine Jesus' perspective. He's thinking and saying, you still don't get it? After all this time, after seeing all my miracles, all the teaching, but he's so patient with Philip, just like he was with Thomas and just like he is with us when we have doubts, when we have objections. He reminds them that his entire life has been one of glorifying the Father. His words have been the Father's words. His works, all of his miracles, everything that he's done are the Father's works. And perhaps today you need that reminder that Jesus is, as the author of Hebrews puts it, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his character. You don't need to look further than Jesus. What, what evidence is there that Jesus is God? It's his words. It's his works. It's everything he's done culminating in his death and resurrection. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 11 in his call to action. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. You can hear Jesus inviting and pleading to those who are the closest on earth to him. And I wonder today if you are here and you still have some doubts. Maybe you're wrestling with doubts about who Jesus is. Maybe you've never fully believed. I wonder if Jesus were physically here today, to some of us, would he say what he said to Philip? After all this time, do you still not know me? After all this time, do you still not know me? You've read my words in the Bible. You've you've seen my works. You've seen how I've changed lives. Maybe there's someone here today who has not yet believed. And if that's you, I would ask, well, what's, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from believing? Is it a lack of knowledge? You think you just don't know enough? You got to learn more? You got to read about the world religions? Is it a lack of evidence? Do you think you need more proof about Jesus? Or is it something else? Is it that you don't want to surrender your will to Jesus? That you don't want to give up what you enjoy. If you're in any of those camps, here Jesus shows us that he has given us all that we need to trust in him. We don't need to look further than Jesus. We don't need to search out more. He's given us all we need. That doesn't mean we can't learn more about this world. We can't learn of what he's done. We, we need to use our mind. We need to uh, love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It doesn't mean that. But if you're kind of swirling around hoping for something other than Jesus, as in your search, you're, you're going to be looking in vain. So today, if that's you, trust in him. Trust in the Lord Jesus. And trust him with your soul. For those of us who are believers, perhaps you are kind of struggling with some questioning. It's, it's normal to do. You're questioning some aspect of your faith. You have some maybe objections that intellectually you're trying to work through. Or maybe you're just weary with all the competing messages that you're hearing in our world today. So let this section of the text encourage you in your faith to remind you that Jesus is who he said he is. 
He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You're not hearing that in many sectors throughout the week, but it is true. And stand strong. Stand strong in this world that tells you otherwise. But also be reminded that even when armed with the evidence, even when armed with all the knowledge, there are some that still do not and will not believe in him. And so we need to pray. We need to pray that God would open minds and hearts of those around us so that they might receive the gospel. So would you pray to that end for someone in your life who's in that category today? Well, now we come to the third compelling reason to believe in Jesus, and that's because he promises the best life to those who believe. Because life in Christ is the best life imaginable, is the life we were created to live. So listen to the promise to those who believe, starting in verse 12, one of the promises. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. This is an incredible statement. Jesus promises that whoever believes in him, anyone, not just the disciples, not just like super Christians, anyone who believes in him will do the works that he is doing and has been doing. And even greater works than these will he do. Think about it. When you believe, Jesus gives you an essential role in his plan to save the world. He gives you, he doesn't kind of just like save you and say, oh, that's great. He enlists you into his service. He wants to use you. But it does beg the question, well, what are these works of Jesus? We, we need to know what those are. Well, throughout John's gospel, Jesus has made it clear that his works, the works of Jesus, are the very works of God. They include Jesus' teaching, his miracles, and the resulting life transformation that comes through them. And in John 6.28, Jesus was asked this very question, what, are the, what could we be doing to be doing the works of God? And this is what Jesus said. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So this means that the works of God encompass many things, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But the greatest of these is redemption of souls. So Jesus is promising that his followers will do his works and even greater works. He says, because I am going to the Father. This means that Jesus' works that he performed while on earth, which were amazing, were about to come to an end. They had an end point because he was going to the Father. But his works that he would accomplish through his people, through the church, would continue, and they would be even greater works, he says. Now, does that mean I should expect to raise the dead and heal the sick and and do everything Jesus did? No, that shouldn't be your expectation. But as you look at church history, you look what God has done from the early church until today. He has done greater works than what happened there in first century Israel. Because in first century Israel, people were influenced by Jesus. But most of the people didn't believe. Most of the people rejected him. But since Jesus died and rose again, greater works have happened Whole entire nations have come to Christ. Countless millions have been saved. These are greater works that have been accomplished, and these are the works that he calls us to be a part of. Just consider this amazing fact, 
that Jesus has entrusted you and I to do the very works of God here on earth. It happens through teaching, it happens through serving, it happens through loving others. There's all sorts of works that he's called us to do. These are not works that save us. These are not works that gain any merit before God because that is Jesus and what he's done for us. But Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created for good works. When we were saved, he saved us for good works to do that God would prepare beforehand for us that we should walk in them. This means that there are works that God has for you, believer, today, this week, that he's prepared for you. There are people that he has put in your life to love and to serve. These are works that he wants you to do. He will empower you to do them. He wants you to step out in faith to do them. But he has called you into his service. Well, now Jesus shows us where the power for those works come from as he makes promises about answered prayer, starting in verse 13. Listen to what he says. Some amazing promises. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you're like me, sometimes you're like, okay, I don't actually believe these verses, (laughs) you know, because really? It's like a blank check. Lord, really? Anything? Anything? So if you're like most people, you've experienced shame or frustration in prayer. Prayer can be a very difficult thing. You think, well, does God even hear? Why am I doing it? In a very pragmatic society that we're in, prayer just feels sort of unnatural at times. We don't always feel dependent. We have so many things around us. We don't feel like we really need God all the time. So what does it mean to pray in this way, to pray in Jesus' name, because it's, it's not a blank check. It's if you pray in my name, I will do it. We need to know what it means to pray in Jesus' name, because it's surely not whatever I want. It's what he wants. So to pray in Jesus' name is not a magic formula. It's not at the end of your prayer saying in Jesus' name, and then you get whatever you said before that. It's this. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray as if Jesus himself were to pray for that very same thing, according to his values, according to his character. So it's praying in line with how Jesus would pray in that situation. So how can you do that? How can we know? Because it says when we pray in that way, we can have great confidence that Jesus hears and he will grant those requests. He will do it. He promises it. Well, here's an immediate application opportunity. Tonight, we have a prayer meeting. That's what we're seeking to do. We're seeking to pray in Jesus' name according to His revealed will, which is His Word. So as we pray according to His Word, we are praying in Jesus' name for Hope Fellowship and for the spread of the gospel in this area that His name might be lifted high here in Chicagoland and around the world. To pray in Jesus' name praise, it means that we're praying for God's will to be done, not our own. We're praying for God's kingdom to come, not our own, that God's name will be honored, not our little sub-mini-kingdoms that we can develop. We want God's name to be honored. And when we pray in those ways, we can have great confidence 
that he hears us and he'll grant those requests. So one strategy to pray in Jesus' name is to pray according to the revealed will of God, which is the word of God. So we can pray according to his word as a template. Another strategy to pray in Jesus' name is to actually just take steps to grow in your faith. Because as you grow in your faith, you will start to think God's thoughts after him. And you'll become, uh, your thoughts will start to be more in line with his. And so as you pray, you will be praying in line with Jesus' name, in line with his word. But as believers, no matter where you are in prayer, you may feel really uh, discouraged right now, even when you think about prayer. Let this encourage you, that no matter how we feel right now, we, have, we, we should have the ultimate confidence in prayer. First, we have confidence because Jesus has paved the way to enter into the very presence of God through his death. We can come to God with ourselves as we are, not as we want to be, but as we are. We can come to him freely, and we can ask whatever we want. Second, whenever we pray, we know from Romans 8 that Jesus also is interceding for us. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is helping us in our weakness, and he is interceding for us. He is helping to transform our prayers so that they are according to the will of God. And so that's really helpful to uh, remember we need God to open our eyes in terms of answered prayer because a lot of times, I've heard it said, what comes down after prayer, like the answer to prayer, is very different than what goes up, how we prayed in the first place before the Holy Spirit intercedes, kind of changes that according to God's will. So sometimes we don't even see the answers to prayer because we're like, well, I prayed this and this happened. Well, that's how the Lord and his providence, he does transform our prayers and uh, answers them according to his will, not ours. So what Jesus is saying in this section is, believe in me, because believe in me is the best life possible. You'll, you'll be part of the very works of God. That's incredible purpose in life. You are doing the works of God Almighty. And when you ask me for things in my name, according to my will, I will do those things. That is the best life imaginable. Well, as we close, I want us to dwell upon the worth of Jesus. There's nothing in heaven or on earth worth more than him. And so when you believe in him, many of us have believed in him and have lived uh, walking with him for many years. When you believe in him, you received immeasurable benefits, eternal benefits like supernatural peace, eternal security, and belonging that cannot be taken away. You will be with Jesus forever. You get answers to life's biggest questions. He answers all of our objections to believing, and you receive the power to do God's work here on earth. But above all else, you get Jesus when you believe. You get Jesus. You get him forever. So may God today use his word to encourage us to remember what is ours in Christ and to propel us to step out and take steps of faith to do the very works that he's called us to do in the strength that he provides. And if you don't know him, let today be the day that you embrace him as Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. 
Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you gave yourself for us. You sent Jesus, the Holy Son of God, who is God, fully God, to live for us, to live a life we could never live, so that by believing in him, we might have life, we might have security, we might have peace, we might have the ability to live as you have intended us to live. So Lord, help us to rejoice in what you have done and what you have given. And Lord, break our hearts for those who don't know this joy, don't know this peace, don't have this kind of security. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who does not have that, that today would be the day they surrender. Because there is a day coming when you will return. And at that point, it's too late to believe. If we've believed, this will be glorious. We will see you face to face. But if we have not, it will be terrifying as, you, as people face judgment, your judgment. So Lord, we pray, do your work in us. And Lord, transform us according to your grace. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.